innovation. Last year, there was quite a struggle going on in the UK, and it wasn't about Brexit. There was great concern in the arts world that a wonderful picture, J.M.W. Turner's The Dark Regi, The Lake of Lucerne, which he painted in 1842, might disappear forever from the UK. In fact, the arts minister, Rebecca Powell, thought that the export of the work would be a terrible loss to the whole country and placed a temporary ban on its movement. Now, of course, one of the consequences of this battle is that people began once again to pay attention to the picture and its content. Valued at £10 million, the masterpiece was completed at the pinnacle of Turner's career, and it forms part of a series of paintings of the mountain at different times of day. You can see why there's a fuss. It's beautifully rendered, captures the wonder of an alpine sunrise, draws you into a world you feel you'd love to explore further. Which is precisely what it did when it was first exhibited in London. People were drawn to ask where was it painted and motivated sufficiently to visit and see for themselves. Pretty soon, copies of the painting were appearing in newspapers and magazines, fanning the flames of interest and prompting a wave of travel towards Lucerne, which was at that time a small lakeside town in Switzerland. It inspired, amongst others, a certain Thomas Cook, who was looking for a new offering for his growing travel business. Originally a printer and a Baptist lay preacher, he built his business organising day trips. His first didn't run too far, the relatively short hop from his hometown of Leicester to nearby Loughborough. But by 1841, it had given birth to his travel business. Four years later, and he'd clearly tapped into a rich potential market. His trip to the seaside at Liverpool was booked by 1,200 people, and he had to repeat it two weeks later for another 800 happy travellers. Cook began to extend his trips across the Channel and by 1863 had seen the possibilities of offering people the opportunity to see Mount Rigi for themselves. In doing so, he pioneered what effectively became the package tour, organising not only the travel by road, rail, boat, even mules, and the accommodation, but also providing guides to help conduct the tour. Mind you, his tour was not for the faint-hearted. In her diaries, an intrepid young woman named Jemima Morell described in detail a world of 4am alarm calls, 20-mile hikes and other challenges, not least of which was also being able to dress for dinner every evening in the hotels in which she stayed. But she clearly felt it was worth the experience. As she says, the days spent on foot or by the sides of mules afford the greatest satisfaction it was then that, away from the life of the city, we were taken into the midst of the great wonders of nature and seemed to leave the fashion of this world at a distance. It was an entire change. The usual routine of life was gone. All memory of times and seasons faded away and we lived only in the enjoyment of the present. Thomas Cook's ideas changed several things. From the point of view of Switzerland, it helped transform a poor rural economy into a travel destination. Today, of course, the Swiss Alps are one of the world's most popular tourist destinations. 
But Cook also created a system-level innovation, much as Henry Ford was to do with the motor car 50 years later. Putting together a successful package tour involves much more than simply arranging travel and tickets. Cook pioneered the complex logistics, arranged for the integration of different travel and accommodation options, provided a system of coupons, the forerunners of today's traveller's checks, to help pay for goods and services, developed a network of guides and other support staff, and printed brochures not only as sales tools, but as a way of engaging customers in imagining and dreaming about the journey that they were about to embark upon. In doing so, he can rightly be considered one of the founding fathers of an industry which today is worth over $7 trillion. But perhaps his real contribution was to offer an early example of what's called experience innovation. His efforts effectively helped stage an experience which, to judge by Jemima Morell's diaries, was hugely valued. It was much more than simply travelling to a destination. As Joe Pine and James Gilmore point out in their book, The Experience Economy, the risk with services is that they quickly become commoditized. There are relatively few barriers to entry. There's no deep scientific knowledge base. They're often short-lived, being created and consumed simultaneously. Building a successful service business is hard. And even when an innovation is offered, it doesn't take long for others to copy it. Imitation levels the field once again, and so there's strong downward pressure in the industry. Very quickly, any service becomes a commodity, with price as the main basis for competition. Now, one way of meeting this challenge is to move away from commoditization towards gaining strategic advantage by creating memorable experience. Experiences are not simply labels attached to products or services. They result from careful planning and organising. They're staged. And just like in a theatrical performance, what goes on when the audience is in the house is just the tip of an iceberg. Weeks of preparation, rehearsals, scenery building, lighting design, hundreds of elements need to be brought together to enable that experience. As Pine and Gilmore put it, leading edge companies, whether they sell to consumers or businesses, will find that the next competitive battleground lies in staging experiences. Examples of such experience construction can be seen in many places. It underpins the enduring magic of Disney's theme parks, and it runs through the core of performances by Cirque du Soleil, which go far beyond the conventional visit to the circus. Companies like Lego and Adidas realise that their products and brands are intimately connected with experience, particularly the storytelling which they and their customers engage with around those artefacts. And the continuing success of the bank, First Direct, in maintaining high customer satisfaction levels owes much to the way they've transformed a transaction-based activity like banking into a valued experience. Now, the customer plays a key part in experience innovation. There's a spectrum of engagement from simple passive consumption through to very active participation. And in Jemima Morell's case, she certainly was not a passive passenger being moved from London to the shores of Lake Lucerne. 
Rather, she was actively involved and her input helped shape that experience. And that introduces a second dimension to such innovation. The degree of connectedness which the consumer feels to the event they're participating in. Being a part of what's happening, rather than sitting passively on the periphery, is important. In Jemima's case, being part of a group sharing the experiences was a key part of the experience construction. So experience innovation needs to build on engaging customers, co-creating experiences with them and building a community around them. It's also hugely about storytelling, something Thomas Cook and his team understood well. Part of their process was to engage the potential customer early on through the use of brochures, first introduced in 1865. These were far more than simple travel itineraries. They captured the promise of exotic lands, of different sights, sounds, smells, building a dream in the minds of customers long before they left the comfort of their armchair to set out on their journey. But there's a challenge in all of this. Staging a memorable experience is one thing, but being able to repeat the trick is another. Succeeding with experience innovation as a strategy doesn't necessarily mean always finding ever more jaw-dropping mountains to observe, but it does depend on maintaining the sense of engagement, connectedness with a community, and with feeding that community with stories. The Globe Theatre in London began as a dream of film producer Sam Wanamaker to create Shakespeare's open-air theatre on the banks of the River Thames. But from its earliest days, it was much more than a building project. His enthusiasm drew hundreds of active supporters into the story. And when it opened for business, thousands more could participate in a rich experience. They were transported back to 17th century London in a noisy open-air theatre where the bulk of the audience, the groundlings, would jostle and move about inches from the stage on which the actors were performing. But the globe has moved on. It's had to. Its core repertoire is limited. Shakespeare only wrote around 40 plays and not all of them are great. The company has worked on new ways of staging these and also added a new space, the Sam Wanamaka Playhouse, where they could offer other plays, particularly Jacobean drama, performed under candlelit conditions. They've extended their work into the educational space, providing the opportunity to draw young people in, laying the foundations for a growing future community of theatre lovers. Through different media, their performances and educational activities reach around the world, and they founded a vibrant membership community who not only attend performances, share in the educational work, but also volunteer for the huge range of tasks the theatre involves. The success of the Globe over the past 20 years is not luck or based on a single memorable performance. It comes from community building, storytelling and experience innovation. Back to Thomas Cook and a sad tailpiece to his story. The business which he founded grew to become one of the world's biggest leisure travel groups with sales of £7.8 billion and 19 million annual customers, 
22,000 employees. But in September 2019, it collapsed, leaving 150,000 holidaymakers stranded and requiring a huge government-backed effort to repatriate them all at a cost of £100 million. Now, the reasons for this will be debated over many years, but one clue may lie in the difficulty of maintaining an experience innovation strategy in a commoditized sector where low-cost carriers, hoteliers and others live on a knife edge. Amongst the casualties were the 555 high street travel shops and their staff. But fortunately, these have been taken over by a family-based company from the north of England, Hayes Travel. Their business model seems to reflect some of the themes we've been looking at, seeing the process of selling travel as one of storytelling, co-creation and community building around customised experiences. In an online world, they stress face-to-face -face contact, building direct relationships with their clients and helping them put together their dream holiday and sharing the experience as they return full of their stories. So while Thomas Cook might be a little disappointed that his name is no longer visible above the shops, he might still be proud to see that inside them his model of experience innovation lives on. Mm -hmm.